Mark 10 shows us the kind of path that we're walking with Jesus. As Jesus heads to Jerusalem, he invites us to follow him along and learn from a number of conversations and pictures of what discipleship looks like on the road to the cross. In verses 1 through 12, we have a discussion on marriage. Jesus, he held a very high view of marriage. It was a God-bound relationship. And divorce was to undo that work of God. And as his disciples were to hold that same view of marriage. Jewish law, they permitted divorce. You can read about that in Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 through 4. The question brought to Jesus is for what reason is divorce allowed? During the days of Jesus, there was a lot of controversy and discussion and debate over which situations allowed for that divorce. If we read through the Mishnah, which is the written record of the traditions that were followed in the days of Jesus, we can read in Mishnah Gittin 9.10 that the house of Shammai says that a man should divorce his wife only because he has found grounds for it in unchastity, that is, adultery. The house of Hillel says that even if she spoils the dish, that she is allowed to be put away. Rabbi Akiba says that even if he has found someone else prettier than she, he is allowed to divorce her. And so you have all of these different teachers allowing for divorce just for different reasons. And so the question is, okay, Jesus, what are your reasons for divorce? And our text tells us that this isn't a genuine question. They're not seeking to understand the actual issue. It's a test. It's an attempt to trap Jesus in his answer. John the Baptist, he lost his head when he questioned Herod's marriage. And I imagine that they're hoping that Jesus is going to have an equally condemning view. And this question reflects the permissive view on divorce in that day. Twice they ask about how a marriage can be undone, dissolved. It's kind of like someone who takes on a bank loan and then immediately begins asking how to declare bankruptcy. You kind of doubt the genuineness of their commitment. Well, Jesus says in verse 5 that the divorce law in Deuteronomy was first of all given because of their hard hearts. It was a concession for the time, not a text of genuine intention. It was given for when things go horribly wrong. And the Pharisees, they were trying to use it to find an easy out of their marriages. Jesus appeals to the first marriage in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, between Adam and Eve. Of the Ten Commands, number five is to honor your father and mother. But in marriage, you leave those behind in order to join and become one flesh with your spouse. And in becoming one flesh, Jesus says that divorce should be as easy as chopping off a limb. God has joined these two together. Man shouldn't be working to bring them apart. And so when we think of this in terms of discipleship, we need to consider, are we going to try and find the easy way out with God? Or are we committed to him and his past in all situations? The church throughout scripture is called the bride of Christ. We have been joined to him through faith in his name, and we can't let anybody lure us away from him. The next issue of discipleship involves children. Jesus rebukes his disciples for trying to keep the children away from him, and instead tells them in Mark 10:15, Truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. In what ways are disciples to be children then? Well, contrary to modern assumptions, it's not because they are innocent, sweet little angels. In the days of Jesus, children were more seen as a nuisance. Childhood was the thing you had to get through so you could get to the real job of being an adult. The point of comparison is in a child's helplessness. The children are not blessed by Jesus for their virtue or their innocence, 
but for their inability to offer anything of value. All they can do is receive the kingdom. They don't demand it, and they can't earn it. And so the disciple of Jesus is not someone who looks at themselves with pride and accomplishment. It's someone who holds up their empty hands to God. The next story is about the sacrifice needed to become a disciple. Jesus is approached by a young man who asks Jesus for the secret. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus quotes to him six of the Ten Commandments. And this young man proudly exclaims that he's kept all these commands since he was young. So what's missing? And in verse 21, looking at him, Jesus loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But he was dismayed by this demand, and he went away grieving because he had many possessions. So is the disciple to be poor and never have any private property? Not necessarily. The reason Jesus tells this man to sell all of his possessions is because he loved them more than God, and that is what prevented him from following Jesus. Of the Ten Commands that the young man is praised for keeping, noticeably absent are four commands that relate man to God, including commands number one and two, such as to have no other gods and no idols. This man's possessions had become his idol. And Jesus laments how difficult it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God and says in verse 24 that the disciples were astonished at his words. And so again, Jesus said to him, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus goes on to say that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, throughout the years, people have tried to walk back that statement. And it's argued that, well, the Greek word for camel and rope are very similar, and so it should actually be like the rope going through the eye of a needle. Still hard, but maybe doable, or at least conceivable. Or they say that the eye of a needle is a small gate in Jerusalem, which, when entered through, was only wide enough to bring a few small possessions in at the time. So the rich had difficulty in bringing their possessions into the city. But no gate ever existed. We want to enter the kingdom of God with our possessions or on our own, but Jesus says it's impossible for man to enter the kingdom. The only reason we get the kingdom of God is because God brings us in. It's hard for anyone to enter the kingdom of God. You may not have to give up all your possessions, but all disciples give up something. We give up our pride, our identity, our old values, and today, in our very comfortable lives, for some of us, maybe more than we'd like to admit, many of our possessions. Now, following Jesus' third prediction of his death in Jerusalem, we have a surprising request from the disciples that follow this story. James and John come to Jesus and ask to sit at his left and right hand when they enter into the kingdom. And the other disciples are rather indignant at this. They want to sit in the higher positions with Jesus. And so Jesus tells them that the path that he is on is not one of comfort, luxury, or prestige. It's one of service and suffering. The throne that Jesus is going to be exalted on, that's going to be the cross. And the one sitting on his right and left would be the two criminals being executed alongside him. Discipleship isn't about racing to the top. It's a slow journey to the cross. And when Jesus got there, he died and offered himself for us. And so as we consider our lives as disciples, we need to consider what sacrifices we're being asked to make 
and how often we humble ourselves in service to others. The last story we have in Mark chapter 10 is the story of blind Bartimaeus being healed. It's unique in the Gospels. In all the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he is the only person healed whose name we know. All others in those three Gospels are largely anonymous. But even while blind, this man sees enough of who Jesus is. He cries out to the son of David for mercy. And by calling him the son of David, Bartimaeus is claiming Jesus as his king, because only David's heir would sit on the throne. And no matter how much the crowd wants to silence him, he only shouts louder until Jesus calls to him. And when Jesus asks him, what do you want me to do for you? It's the same question he asks James and John. But instead of asking for a high position, Bartimaeus only wants to see his Lord. The faith not only heals Bartimaeus, but we're told it saves him. And as soon as he's saved, he begins following Jesus down the same road to the Jerusalem cross. Disciples of Jesus see who he is. They see that he came to serve, not to be served. That he came to give his life and die on the cross. And most importantly, the disciple follows that same path to the cross. 